And in respect to the reading of God's word, I'll be reading aloud, ask you to follow along as I read Exodus chapter 32. give some context to this. God had called Moses up to the mountain in Mount Sinai and was given instruction to him. In that time of instruction, he had given him the Ten Commandments and had spoken that to God's people. Now he was writing down those Ten Commandments and his law on tablets and giving them for Moses to bring down. In the meantime, chapter 32 is what happened. So let's read there. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought up, brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent he bring, he, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountain and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I promise I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat. 
but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to, a, to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. And Moses, when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day, about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon this day, upon you this day. The next day, Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf the one that Aaron made. May God give us direction instruction from his word today. We'll be preaching this text this morning. If you would remain standing with me, let's bow for a moment of prayer. After prayer, our choir will come with special music and then the preaching of God's word for today. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the warning that comes from you, how holy, how righteous you are. How awesome it is to worship you and how awesome it is to fall away from worshiping you. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts today and minister to our hearts where we are, that we might see 
both your judgment and your grace together through your word today. And we might respond to you in a positive way. Bless us as we receive communion today, as we think and prepare our minds and our thoughts for that worship to you. We might do so in a way that is honoring to you. Remembering what the Lord Jesus Christ has done and what we celebrate in his death and in his resurrection. I pray for those who are part of this work, who are sick today. We think of Miss Bonnie, that you would continue to be with her, build her up and strengthen her. We think of those who are away, we think of Lawrence and Charmone and their bereavement of Lawrence's aunt and the, and the death of his aunt. We pray, Lord, for um, encouragement through them to come to that family, opportunities to share their faith of trust in Christ, and that you would open hearts doing that. We pray you give them safety as well as they drive back home today. And Lord, we just pray uh, for this group of believers here, that your power might live with us and that we might live according to your word and be a witness and a testimony for you, that you might get the glory from our lives. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Please be seated. So now in our series in Exodus, we come across chapter 32, and we see where it sits Starting at chapter 19, God had told Moses he wants to come down and speak to him in front of the people. He wants the people to see his connection, his relationship, his conversation with Moses. He wanted the people to know that Moses had a special relationship with God, and God spoke to him in ways that he did not speak with others. And Moses prepared the people for this. And God was going to speak and he gathered the people together. He warned them of God. And then God came in the mountain there. And we can see the fire and the smoke and, and all of that uh, signifying the power and the might, the holiness, the righteousness of God as he came down amongst them. He had them put uh, uh, barriers across so that, that the people would not go up to the mountain. And God reminded Moses that he was to put those barriers up. And Moses reminded God, he, he said, don't worry. The folks don't want to go anywhere close to where you are. They, are, they, are, they have a healthy fear of you. When chapter 20, God spoke through to them and gave them what we call the Ten Commandments. He, com he, he began to communicate his law to them. And uh, after giving that, the people gave their consent to obey God's word and God's command and to live as God expected them to live. And as we go on in chapters 24 and on, God calls Moses back into the mountain to continue the conversation with him to share his rule, his guidelines, his law uh, with Moses for Moses to record this and take it back down to the people. 
We're told that Moses was up there with God in the mountain. Uh, first, God called the, the, the leadership team of Israel, but they were to stay put at a certain point, and then only Moses and Joshua went up to meet with God, and then God called out Moses even from those two and spoke uh, directly with Moses. The Bible says that Moses spent 40 days there in a mountain with God, God communicating with him. Meanwhile, back at the camp is where chapter 32 happens. By the way, it's only been about three months from the time that they left Egypt and had come into the wilderness and had experienced just a few things, and now this happens, just just roughly about the time of three months. You can see that, that timing in chapter 19 that kind of ties that all together. Now here we are in chapter 32, and this is a chapter known as the golden calf. It's a very familiar chapter to us. We see uh, the events that happen. Let me just go through briefly what's happening in this chapter. Then I'll go through more detail. First six verses, we see the people sin by worshiping an idol instead of worshiping God. God determines to judge them for their sin in verses 7 through 10. In verses 11 through 14, Moses intercedes for the people, and God relents, or he pulls back his judgment from them. In verses 15 through 32, Moses uh, uh, re returns to the camp, you know, in the first part of the chapter, God told Moses while he was meeting the mountain what the people were doing, and now Moses sees for himself. He comes down to the camp, and he sees what's been going on, and he uh, has a conversation with Aaron. He deals with the people, uh, and, and he punishes the people for their wickedness, uh, that verse 27 and 28 and, and 29. And then in verse 30 through 32, Moses intercedes before God for the people. That happens the next day. And then God deals with the people according to their sin, verses 33 through 35. So that's the whole chapter in, in, a, uh, in its form, in, in an outline form. Let's go through some of the details and what is it that God wants us to learn from these events in this chapter. First thing we see that's very obvious, God had instructed them very clearly not to worship any other gods, not to make gods for themselves that would be a substitute, substitute to who he was. Before he even finishes writing down those commandments, he has spoken them once, and now he's writing them down for Moses to hand down. Before Moses can come down the mountain with those written tablets that God had carved in stone for the people to see, they had broken the commandments already. They had asked for a, a, a God to represent their leader. I want you to look at it uh, with me in verse, when the first verse there. It says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this man, Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So it seems that to replace Moses, they want some visual representation 
a power that they can worship as responsible for delivering them. They said, the one who delivered us, Moses, we don't know where he is. So let's make us a God who we can give honor to for delivering us. One of the things that I notice here is that as human beings, we will worship something or someone. We will worship something or someone. God commands us to worship him and him only. If we're not worshiping God, we are worshiping something or someone. You need to find out who it is that you worship. I was talking in my new membership class. One of the ways that you can find out what's important to you, let me change that a little bit. One of the ways you can find out who you're prone to worship is look at how you spend your time and your money. Who you're prone to worship or what's important to you. How do you spend your time and your money? You see, if you don't have any time for God, for God's people, for God's fellowship, if you don't support God's work with your, your, where, your, where your heart is not in it, and I, how can you tell if your heart's not in it? Well, your money ain't in it. You can pretty much tell that your heart is not in it. You can tell somebody who likes fashion and likes to dress. They're going to spend money for their clothes. They're going to spend money for how their body looks. They're going to, they're going to get fingernails done. They're going to get hair done. They're going to, they're going to get face done. They're, they're going to do all these things because that's important to them. That's important to them. Somebody who likes cars or motorcycles, I'm poking at myself. They're going to look forward to those days in March when it gets a little bit warm and they can take their car out and ride it, like yesterday. <laughs> How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? You're going to see what's important to you. Take a look at it. Take an inventory for yourself. We worship something or someone. God challenges us to worship him with all of our heart. The Bible says God is a jealous God. Somebody asked the question, why is God jealous? Isn't that a negative trait? Isn't that something we should stray, stay away from? No, no, it's not a negative trait at all. It is saying God has a passion and a zeal for what belongs to him. He's not sharing it. God says what's mine will be mine. I don't want it misused or misspent by anybody else. He's jealous or zealous for what is his. Also, we see something here. The people came to Aaron and said, hey, man, help us out. Our leader is gone. You know how the people need something that they can see. Make us something that we can believe in. Something that we can see, something that we can be encouraged by and lifted up by. Aaron shows one of the traits of a poor leader, and that is this. He gave the people what they want. He gave them what they want. Instead of, you know, God is, when, when he calls you as a parent, you don't ask your three-year-old what you want to eat today. Just pick whatever you choose and eat it. I hope you're not asking your 12-year-old what time they want to go to bed or if they want to go to bed. 
or what they want to watch on TV or videos or, or whatever they choose to put into their life. I hope you're taking charge of those areas. God holds you accountable and responsible for that. The people came to Aaron and said, this is what we want. And Aaron said, okay, I guess that's what you want. I'll give you what you want. God holds him accountable for that. God had given clear direction not to do this, not to go in this direction. It's not one of those areas where it's a little foggy, it's, it's unclear, it's a gray area. It's not. In fact, if we're honest, most of our life isn't like that. When we decide that we're going to walk with the Lord and live for the Lord, by the way, these people agreed to that when God shared the Ten Commandments with them. He says, look, don't play games with me. You, living for me is not an easy thing to do. And they agreed to it. He says, all that you said, we will do. And then in just a short, it says Moses was up in the mountain 40 days. But you gotta, you got to give some time for them not only to, to ask, make this request, but actually to build it and form this calf and then to worship. So in the, in the space of somewhere around a month, they went from God our Lord has brought us out of Egypt to this golden calf. Ain't none better. We love it. We worship it. We follow it. We owe all our life to it. To it. To it. Something that they can form with their hands or with the gold jewelry that they had. They formed it, and now they bow down and they worship it. Something else that kind of gets our attention, you'll see this in the New Testament as well. You'll see in verse 6, it says, they rose up early the next day. I'm interested there because false worship has a lot of zeal and passion to it. They rose up early. Can, can, I, can I pick on a few folks today? Sometimes we have problems getting to, to church on time. These people rose up early. There's a zeal and a passion about what they did. They rose up early, folks. They got up early. They were prepared to do this worship. They got up early for it. And it says not only that, and offered burnt offerings. They brought peace offerings. It says as the people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. Now that word rose up to play, it's an interesting term. It's used in other parts of scripture. Um, you can, if you have a good study Bible, you can look this out. I'm not going to look up every reference to it, but you can, you can see that, that that word they, they went to play has to do, and sometimes it's, it's, it's uh, translated as they laughed or they mocked. In other places, it has to do with uh, um, actually Plain, well, let me put it this way. If you remember Abraham, excuse me, I think it was Isaac, had come to a place and they were looking at his wife. And he knew that the king of that land would, would want his wife so, and would kill him for his wife. So they said, he said, well, instead of um, uh, don't call yourself my wife, I'll call you my sister. And it says the king called him and his sister playing and knew that it wasn't his sister. 
In other words, in some way, there's an aspect of this play, this interaction between you two human beings is not something that a brother and sister would do. It's more appropriate for a husband and a wife. I don't know how far that went in public, if they were just holding hands or if they were hugging and embracing, but whatever it is they were doing, it was not the brother-sister kind of thing that they were doing. What's the point here? Is that as, as Israel went down into idolatry, it involved sexual sins of some sort. It shows you that when you go off from worshiping God, you're going to get involved in junk that's perverse, that goes against, that goes away from serving God. People always say, well, Pastor, that's not me. I got this. I'm okay. You don't have control as you think you have. Sin carries you along and carries you away. How quickly, it says, they had gotten involved in these kind of activities. They got up early. They were committed. They were dedicated. They, they had incorporated it in every part of their life. They sat down to eat and to drink and rose up for nonsense, whether it was worship-related in their way of thinking or not. It was sin against God. So we see their sin. In verses 7 through 10, God determines judgment against them. He says this, I've seen this people. Behold, it is a stiff-necked people. That's a very descriptive word, and it, it really just speaks of a stubbornness to do wrong. We get that idea. Sometimes we think stubbornness is always a... Um, it's, it's an act of aggression and rebellion. But in sometimes it's a quietness to do your own thing. It's a quiet resolve to do what you intend to do, and God ain't got no say in it. I think I see it all the time. It's what I call a quiet rebellion. Not everybody's in your face with their rebellion. Sometimes they're just quietly determined to do what they are going to do. God said this people was a stiff neck, a stubborn people. Think about it. God had delivered them. God had set all the plagues of Israel uh, over Egypt, and God had differentiated his, his, his judgment between Israel and Egypt, and God had guided his people by fire, a cloud of fire, a pillar of fire, and a, a pillar of cloud and directed them in his path. He had, he had given them manna to eat and, and water to drink from. He has shown his presence with them continually. He has spoken to his servant Moses before them so that they would see it is God who is doing all of this, and yet they went astray. Now, I know we can look at it and think, wow, how stupid were those people. How, 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 how much they must have lacked in their love for God, but we need to see that, that we are so prone to be carried away by sin if we don't um, let God's power continually work in us. If we don't remind ourselves of God's truth and our vulnerability, of our need for God's power. 
our need for that communion with God. How easy it is to go astray. God says there's a stiff-necked people. And he says to Moses, let me alone, verse 10, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them. One of the common words in this whole chapter is this, this idea of anger and God's wrath as burning hot and burning fire. Now, it's expressed with God here. It's also expressed later on with Moses that his anger burned hot. When, this is for us to get the idea of how God deals with sin. God wants to remind us sin is never trivial in our lives. It's never just a small thing. Satan wants to fool us and say, you know, that, that's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. And we take it in small measures as if, you know, it's, it's, it, it reminds me of, of having, not having discipline when I eat and thinking that, well, you know, I'll just eat this dessert today and I'll be okay. Or maybe I'll just eat it once today. And then the next day, it's tasted good. I don't feel too bad about it. I'll just have another bite. And another bite means another serving. Another serving means another half a serving. And it means something for tomorrow, too. Because I don't just buy a donut. I like to buy a dozen donuts. Because after all, I, I have to be thrifty with my money. It, I, I need to buy it smart in bulk, right? I need to eat in bulk too. You see how it carries on and on and on. And before you know it, I've drifted far away from my diet and my exercise. And I'm where I don't want to be. That ring a bell with anybody? Probably. <laughs> Whether it's discipline that shows or discipline in areas that don't always show to everybody is something that we are prone to. But what the Bible wants us to see is that God never looks at sin as trivial. And when it talks about his hot anger, it gives us a true picture of God. We don't like being reminded. We don't even like people responding in anger to what we do wrong. I've seen people overreact because the person who, who talked to them about what they did wrong was angry with them. Why are you angry with me? And get mad because they're angry instead of mad at what you've done and what you, what you, the wrong that you have done. We often respond, respond to the response to us instead of our actual deed. But God wants us to see. Look at what he says in verse, verse 10. He basically says this to Moses. Move out the way, dude. Because I'm going to wipe them out. I'm so upset with what they've done, I'm going to end them as a nation. And it's like you tell them, don't think I'm kidding, because I can do this. And he can. And he says, you know what? I'll set you up. And make a nation out of you. He says that to Moses. Now I want you to notice what Moses does. In verses 11 through 14, Moses intercedes. To intercede means to stand before God on behalf of someone else. And it's actually like standing in the middle. You ever have two people fight and you try to break it up? You know that's a dangerous place to be. Because you're likely to receive something of a blow from one or the other. 
Moses is standing before God. What right does he have to stand before God and plead for these people? Well, <laughs> the only thing that gives him that right is God's graciousness and God's mercy. And so he can stand before God. I want you to notice what he says. It says in verse 11, but Moses implored the Lord his God. That has a sense of to genuinely plead with God. Begging with God, not for his life, but for the lives of the people of Israel. He pleads. It reminds us how we ought to think in our prayer time. As we go to God for, for those who we we love our family members, our neighbors, our friends, those who we come before God. We plead that God would turn his wrath away from them. And that's what Moses is pleading. Moses implored the Lord as God said, Oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? Well, there's an answer for that. They sinned. That's why he's angry with them, because they sinned and they've gone against God's will. And God is command, God, God must deal with sin. He can't just ignore it and leave it alone. By the way, that's not what grace is, just ignoring sin and looking the other way. God doesn't ignore sin. He deals with sin head on because he's holy and he's righteous. Moses pleads with God, and he says this. The second thing he says, verse 12, Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them? In other words, he's saying, Lord, what about your testimony? What are other people going to think when you deal with your people this way? He tries to plead with God about his testimony. Three things that, that Moses is pleading. Why are you so angry with them? What about your testimony? And the last thing he says, remember your promises. Don't forget, you made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He's pleading with, I want you to know something here. Moses has no grounds on any of these. <laughs> God is not going to do this because he's like, oh, wow, Moses, you're right. I shouldn't really be angry with them. What they did wasn't that wrong. No. That doesn't fly. God had given them the Ten Commandments. The first one is what? You should have no other gods before me. It's plain and simple. There is, there, there is no defense attorney that can come and get you out of this one. And Moses ain't that good. It is impossible. You can't argue with God and win on that basis. The second point he's, he's making is, what about the testimony? Isn't that going to look bad to everybody else? What would God say to that? <laughs> it's my people to do it when I want to with. And if anybody looks at that and see anything, they're going to see that I'm a serious God. I don't play with sin at all. And then the third point, he says, what about your promises? What about your promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? See, God has said, Moses, I'll raise up a nation from you. In other words, I'll fulfill my promise because you are descendant of Abraham. You are one of the sons of Levi. I will, I will raise you up and I'll make a nation out of you and all of my promises will still stand. Moses has nothing 
for which he can bargain with God. Do you realize that? I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> let, me, let me warn you of the, of the ending here. Moses, as an intercessor, is representing Christ. Except Moses has no means to intercede with. The difference between Moses and Christ, and we're going through, let me put a plug in for our, our Wednesday service. Uh, Brian is, is speaking through meditations in Hebrews, and you can see what's coming out there. And in Hebrews, one of the things that tells us that Jesus Christ is much greater than Abraham, much greater than Moses. Moses is trying to be the intercessor because he doesn't want to see these people as destroyed, but he has no teeth. He has no, nothing that he can actually come before God with. Because God says, my promises still stand if I wipe them all out and raise you up. I haven't, I haven't stopped or prevented any of my promises from going. But I want you to notice something. It says, verse 14, the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken on bringing on his people. Why? On what basis? On the same basis that he has allowed us, some of us, to escape his judgment. It's called because. You know that word when you're, when you're a kid. You say, why did you do that? Because. In other words, it's what we call the sovereign will of God, the grace of God. There's no reason for God to forgive me of my sin or you of your sin. There's no reason for God to extend grace to me or grace to you. He's not forced to. There's no one in the court of law saying, God, look. Because you're righteous and you're gracious, you must do that. No. He doesn't have to. God is completely just and righteous in condemning every sinner. He is. You see, whether you say it out loud or not, we need to say amen to that. Because we are sinners before a just and righteous God, and we deserve exactly God's judgment. And if God decides to withhold any part of that judgment for us, it's because it ain't nothing that we deserve, no right that we have. In America, we throw rights around all the time. I have a right to this. I have a right to... You got a right to nothing before God. Nothing. And so Moses knows he's got nothing to stand on. He tries to say, God, but you got to fulfill your promise, God. God can easily say, I have and I will fulfill every one of them. And, and God would be gracious in doing that. He could say, my grace has been poured out on the family of Moses, and I've raised up a family. That's what he did with Noah. He condemned the world and said, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and he took from one man and brought him to be the father of the family of, of the human race after the flood. God was gracious in doing that. 
He fulfilled his grace. There's nothing for us to stand on when we stand before God and try to, try to argue our way with God. But there is something that appeals to God, and that's himself, his own grace. In other words, what we should be singing is, God, we don't know why you saved us, but we're glad you did. That's, that's, that's all we have. It's not because you knew I was going to be some great this or that. No. Whatever I am, it's in spite of myself because of the work that God has done on me. And the same thing with you. So our worship is, God, you don't owe us nothing, but you're so gracious to offer me salvation and give me life until I could hear your word of salvation and you would give me your Holy Spirit to respond to it. And here I am before you. So God was indeed gracious. In this chapter, I want you to see God's judgment and his grace. I want you to see them both side by side. What's part of his judgment? After Moses comes down from the mountain, he talks with Aaron. He says, man, why did you do that? And Aaron's like, uh, 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 well, you know how these people are, man. They, they just evil. They just evil. They came to me and said, we don't know where Moses is, so make us some God. So I told them to take the earrings off. I put them all in the pot. I heated them up, and boom, <laughs> out came this, this lamb. What could I do? They worshiped it. Do you know how silly that sounds? But that's what he did. That's what he did. I don't even see Moses. It's almost like Moses like, He can't even say nothing to him. Like, dude, that's, I've been talking with God in the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and now I come down to this? Really? That's, that's the best you can do. In other words, there's absolutely no excuse for what the people did, no excuse for what Aaron did. Here's God's judgment. Moses says, who's on the Lord's side? See, God doesn't take sin lightly. He says, who's on the Lord's side? The Levites stood up. So it shows that everybody was not carried away in this sin, but a number of people were. But the Levites stood up. Moses makes a hard statement to them. Take your sword, man. And we're going through the whole camp. And anybody who's not on the Lord's side, you're going to destroy them, whether they're son or brother or neighbor. Because they're all related. They're all of Israel. He says, put them down. Put them down. Now, you might think this is just Moses being harsh, but you, you'll be reminded that the hot anger is, is, uh, comes from the Lord. It's, it, it's, it permeates through this chapter. It's an anger that God has against sin. It's not, a, it's not a joke. It's not a joke. Today, you know, because of our, our, our court system and our laws, we take judgment and justice very lightly. 
we got little 13-year-olds stealing cars and knowing that they get away with it because if you cops chase them, they'll just keep going and not get caught. Or crash and get caught but not get put in jail or get put in, in, in uh, uh, what is it, uh, yeah, uh, uh, the, the little kids' jail is what it is. <laughs> Juvie, right? And slapped on the wrist until they're 18. But the, the reason why Satan likes that, because he wants, he wants people to think that sin is, is taken lightly. And in reality, God doesn't take sin lightly. No sin does he take lightly. And here's, here's part of the proof to that when Moses sends the tribe of Levi to, to deal with those who have done this grievous sin against God. You'll notice in, the, in some of the chapters that we read, God says when a person goes and worships a, a false god, he is, he is to be eliminated. He is to be taken out of the, 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 the people of Israel. And that's what they did. It's just. It's not that God is telling us to do that today, but it's telling us what the mindset of God is towards sin has not changed today. You can't just bargain with God and talk God out of something. He hates sin. He loves righteousness. And he stands against our sin. The next day, after pronouncing that judgment on God's people, Moses himself stands before God and intercedes for the people. You can see that starting in verse 30. He says, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. Verse 31, he says, Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold, but now if you will, forgive their sin. He pleads with God to forgive their sin. And he says this, if not, blot me out. That's a pretty strong statement. It, it, it's a statement that, look, he's saying, Lord, if I can be the intercessor, take me and punish me instead of punishing them. That's what he's saying. But keep in mind, you can't bargain with God. And Moses has nothing to bargain to God with. In fact, Moses is trying to do what only Jesus Christ can do. Because Jesus, you remember Moses himself was a murderer. Before he started out on a mission, the reason why he fled out of Egypt is because he killed a man. He killed an Egyptian and they were trying to catch him for that. He had to be a, 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 a fugitive. He was not perfect. He was not sinless. But in his heart, if he could, he would die for his people. What does God say? He doesn't say, hey, that's very admirable of you, uh, Moses. I'll take you up on that. No, he doesn't say that. What he says is, verse 33, but the Lord said to Moses, you notice the first word, but. In other words, contrast. Moses, this is what you want. This is what you ask for, but. 
Here's what I got to say. Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out my book. In other words, you can't stand for them. They got to stand for themselves. You are not the one to stand for them. But there is one that can stand for them. There is one in 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Do you see why God made himself a man? God the, God the Son came down from heaven, never stopped being God, but made himself a man so that he could be the mediator, the thing that Moses couldn't be. He became a man, but not just a man, a perfect sinless man who could in fact stand before God, not commanding him, but saying, Father, I will pay the price for these sinners. Moses couldn't pay it, even if he wanted to, because he had his own sin. He, need, he himself needed a Savior. Jesus is the Savior who needed no other Savior outside of himself. God needs nothing from anybody. He supplies. He is the Savior. Moses, then, is a picture of what Jesus would fulfill that Moses couldn't possibly fulfill. Moses has a heart to do it, but doesn't have the means to do it. Great leader would die for his people, but that's still not enough. That's not acceptable. Jesus himself would be that sacrifice. So God says, no, the one who sinned, I will require it of him. You can't substitute for him, Moses. He's preparing Jesus. See, the, the, the Word of God is, is setting up that so that there is only one who could be the Redeemer, one who qualifies. That's Jesus, and that Jesus is Jesus alone. Moses is a great leader, but he wouldn't qualify for that. So when we think about our salvation, we thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we worship him. That's why we praise him. That, that's why, you know, we, we stop everything. And the Bible says every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. Those who know him are saying, look, there was, there was none else in that. In fact, Revelation gives us this picture. It gives us this picture. Is there anybody, anybody in heaven, anybody at all who can stand and represent the sinful man? Who can break the seal? Revelation uses that language. Break the seal. In other words, break down what God requires and fulfill it. There's none found except this little lamb. This little lamb is Jesus. He's the only one that can represent mankind because he is a man, yet sinless. Good try, Moses. But God didn't accept that, didn't quite qualify. Look at God's graciousness again, verse 34. He just rejected Moses from being the intercessor for the people. But he says this, but now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. God is actually saying, I'm going to forgive their sin I'm going to extend grace to them, and I'm still going to bring them to my promised land. I could have just said, I'm through with you. I'm going to blot you all out 
and start all over. He says, no. It's not you, Moses, that's going to stand and represent them, but I'm going to extend forgiveness to them. Based on what? You see, God is already figuring his son. This is all figured in the equation. God knows what he's doing. God doesn't just sweep sin under the rug. He doesn't act like it just never happened. He takes sin seriously. He's going to punish sin. He's either going to punish the sin with the sinner, or he's going to have his son represent that sinner who believes on him and take on that sinner's sin and die for it and pay for that payment. So that's what we see in this chapter. We see a beautiful picture of God's judgment, how he deals with sin, and of God's grace that Moses couldn't fulfill, but Jesus Christ does. And then at the end of the chapter, it says this. Nevertheless, the end of verse 34. Nevertheless, in the day, let, let me finish, verse 34. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I've spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. You see God's grace, he's not only forgiven, he's leading and giving his own presence with his people to lead them all the way. My angel will go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. God will deal with sin. And then he says this, then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. God is serious about sin. We can come to him and we can plead before him. In fact, we have one who pleads in our place, the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in him. Rejoice in him. Come to God because of him and know that God will not kick anybody out who comes in the name of his son, Jesus. He accepts what his son has done. We're going to prepare ourselves for communion today. So I'm going to ask our leadership team if they would come forward. And as they come, I'm going, to, oh, I'm going to have a word of prayer, that prayer of challenge to us, prayer of commitment to us. So we prepare to take communion today. So we see Jesus is pictured in this chapter. Jesus is pictured in what we do with communion today. He's the one who's given his life for us. God's grace is there. We need to know God's grace is there because his judgment is true. We absolutely need his grace and need to embrace that grace. 